Hi, good morning. Great to see you all here again. So uh, if you were with us last Sunday, you'll know that it was Mother's Day. We had a great service. And Casey, my wife, uh, as well as some creative videos we did, Casey was the main speaker. So here I am the following week. And I was thinking about it just kind of leading up to this week. You know, imagine if you've gone to Five Points or gone to the gym and you've gone to play basketball and you're ready to walk onto the court and suddenly Michael Jordan is walking off of the court. And you're thinking, man, I've got to follow that? That's how I feel this morning. Casey did such a great job last week that I'm like, man, I've got to follow that. So um, I hope you'll be kind and uh, listen in this morning as we continue on in our series called The Genius of Jesus. You see, the genius of Jesus is that he had these um, uh, amazing stories that he would tell. We call them parables. And he told these stories thousands of years ago, and still today, we're familiar with those stories. In fact, still today, not only are we familiar with those stories, they're still challenging us today, just like they did his listeners 2,000 years ago. You know, the genius of Jesus is that they were more than just stories. Like a, like a beautiful picture, um, the stories were told and, and they would draw people in. He would tell stories of, of farmers or Samaritans or shepherds. And, and as he told these stories, just in and of themselves, they were great stories. And like a picture, they would draw the listener in. But as you spent more time studying that picture, as you spent more time dwelling on the meaning of that story, then what you started to realize was it was more than just a picture. It was like a mirror. Those stories that Jesus told, they were like mirrors reflecting back information about us. It was like looking into a mirror, and it's this, as you look into this story, you could see yourself. You were the character in the story. You were the sheep that the shepherd was willing to go after. And then on top of that, and this is the, what I think is just the, the genius of Jesus, is that more than just a mirror, it was almost like a window. A window, these stories were, that you could kind of peer through, and as you looked into this window, you get to see something of who God is. Jesus himself, just in the life he lived, gave us a great picture of who God is. But as he told these stories, these parables, that we started to see like an insight into the very heart and the very nature of Father God himself. So this morning, I'm going to dive into one of those stories, one of those parables that Jesus told. And I have a feeling, I have a feeling that this story I'm going to talk about this morning may be one that you're not familiar with. And even if you are familiar with, I'm going to be surprised if you've heard someone teach on this, because I hadn't heard anyone teach on this parable before until I sat down to prepare it. You see, earlier this week, I was uh, part of a conference call with uh, a group of pastors, and I was invited to come into this kind of video chat, and they interviewed me because these guys were planting churches, and they wanted to find out from me what had happened here at Connect. So these pastors from all over the country were listening in, and the guy started out with a real easy question. He said, Dave, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start out with a softball question for you. And then he kind of chuckled. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. He goes, that's, that's an American sports analogy. You probably don't even know what that means. And I'm like, <laughs> I said, I know what it means. It's, a, it's an underinflated soccer ball. I, I know it, so it's just easier to kick. I'm sure that's what it means, because all sports analogies are about soccer, right? So, uh, so I thought, you know what? I could go with some softball parables, the good Samaritan, the good shepherd, ones that we all are familiar with, ones we've grown up maybe listening to, uh, ones that we for sure know what they mean. Or maybe, maybe for one of the weeks in this series, I could go for a, a parable, a story that Jesus told that isn't quite as familiar, and that's what this story is. 
This morning, we're going to look at a parable. It's called the parable of the shrewd manager. The parable of the shrewd manager. So only one of the four guys who writes about the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, only one of the four of them tells this story. He's Luke. And Luke gives us the account. Luke tells us this story that, that Jesus himself told about the shrewd manager. So we're going to read from Luke this morning. If you've got a Bible or if you've got your phone, you can look it up in Luke chapter 16. But if not, you can follow along on the screens. So Luke 16, verse 1, it starts out like this. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man. And I want to just pause there for a second because um, in most of the parables that Jesus told... In most of the parables Jesus told, like I said, they were kind of windows into the nature of who God was. So very often, there would be a figure or a character in the stories that was kind of reflecting who God was. God would appear in those stories. For example, the prodigal son. Um, if If you're familiar with that parable, there's a father who has two sons, one of the sons leaves. Well, the father in that story represents God. The father represents Father God, how much he loves us, how much he wants to forgive us. There's another story that Jesus told called The Good Shepherd. It was about a shepherd who had 100 sheep. 99 of them were safe and one um, went astray. And the story is about how the shepherd um, didn't, um, it's not that he didn't care about the 99, but he wasn't willing to not care about the one. So he went searching for the one. And the shepherd in that story is God. Jesus told that story to illustrate just how much God loves every one of us, even those of us who stray far away. He'll come looking for you. Because he loves you that much. That was, that was the representation in that story of God. And in this story, the rich man, I believe, is God. So as Jesus is telling this story, it's through the lens, from the perspective of this rich man that represents Father God. So back to the story. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employees' money, his employer's money. So here's how the story begins. We've got this, this rich man, this business owner. He's got someone who works for him. He's a manager. And it turns out he's a bit of a slacker. Turns out he spends most of his time just on Facebook, maybe watching YouTube videos, not really getting the job done, um, just not really, you know, he's kind of scurrying away. But it sounds like up till now he's kind of got away with it. It sounds like up till now, the manager, or sorry, the owner wasn't aware of it because we discover here in the story that one day, a report came. So one day, someone said, I'm going to tell the boss. I'm going to get in touch with the owner. He needs to know what's going on here. So one day, corporate got a phone call, and the owner hears about this manager and how he has fallen short, how he's slacking, how he's not really doing very well. So I want to help you here this morning, okay? Because right now we're, we're talking about this manager, okay, who's not doing very well. And, and maybe you're like, well, I wonder what that manager would be like. I wonder what kind of manager you're talking about here. I'm going to help you kind of put a face to a story here. So, so when thinking of a manager who doesn't perform as well as maybe he could, maybe it would be someone like this. I knew exactly what to do, but in a much more real sense, I had no idea what to do. Presents are the best way to show someone how much you care. It is like this tangible thing that you can point to and say, hey man, I love you this many dollars worth. Sometimes I'll start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way. You know what they say, fool me once, strike one, but fool me twice, 
Strike three. I declare bankruptcy! I'm not superstitious, but I'm, I am a little stitious. Guess what? I have flaws. What are they? Oh, I don't know. I sing in the shower. Sometimes I spend too much time volunteering. Occasionally I'll hit somebody with my car. So sue me. No, don't. Would I rather be feared or loved? Um, easy, both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. Am I gonna tell them? No, I'm not going to tell them. I don't see the point of that. As a doctor, you would not tell a patient if they had cancer. I saved a life. My own. Am I a hero? I really can't say, but yes. So there you go. Just in case you need to kind of visualize the kind of manager we're talking about here. He's just not a good manager. So in verse 2, we discover that the employer called him in and said, What's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. He's saying, listen, you've got away from this too long. I've seen you. You know, I've heard about you slacking. I've heard about you not doing the job. It, I've had enough. It's over. You are going to be fired. Start getting things ready. Your final days are approaching. So in this moment, the manager realizes, whoa, it's too late. I, I, I can't do anything about this. In fact, verse 3 says, the manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. Suddenly, the realization is sinking in here to this guy. He's like, oh, wow. I had a really good job here. This was a pretty cushy desk job, some white-collar work. And if people hear that I got fired, I'm never going to get another job like this. The only job I'm going to get is digging ditches, and I don't want to dig ditches. I don't want to beg. So now he's starting to get desperate. Now he's realizing that, you know, I need to do something here. I need to figure something out, and I need to act quickly. So listen to verse 4. I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. Light bulb goes off. He has an idea. He comes up with a plan. He's like, you know what? I'm, there's nothing I can do to change being fired, but maybe... I can figure something out here. Maybe I can use something to try and build some relational collateral with some other people here so that when I'm fired, I'll be able to find a new job or a new place to live. So listen to the plan he comes up with, this, this manager. Verse 5. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer, not him, to his employer, to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. Now, obviously, this morning we can all relate to this situation because, I mean, who doesn't like olive oil? Right? I mean, seriously, I mean, I love it. You know, a good old bottle of olive oil. And, and I know many of us have been in that place where it's like, you can buy one bottle, but you can get the second one for half off. And you're like, well, who doesn't want two bottles of olive oil? And, and then you find out you can get a case, and the guy says you can have it on credit. You're like, well, definitely. And then suddenly there's a semi pulling up with 800 gallons of olive oil, and you're thinking, what have I done? And you're stuck with all this olive oil, <laughs> heavily in debt. I know it's happened to a lot of us. Maybe it's not oil. Maybe your, your, your weakness is cereal. 
Wheaties in particular. Maybe you relate to the next guy. Verse 7, how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. So obviously, we can't relate when it comes to oil or bushels. But here's what we're talking about here. We're talking about currency. We're talking about a very rich man who has the, the provision to lend something that is of value. So whether it's olive oil or wheat, that was incredibly valuable. Now, they had um, purposes, oil and wheat in those days. But really, it was kind of like a, an exchanging thing where, where this had a certain amount of value. So here's the kind of value we're talking about. 800 gallons of olive oil would be equivalent to about three years' wages for a person in that time. So do the math in your head. Whatever your job is right now, imagine what three years' wages is. And I'm sure that's a a five-figure number, at least, for most of you here, when you total it all up. Well, imagine if someone came to you and said, hey, I want to cut that in half. Whatever that number is, instead of being this much, I'm going to take it down to whatever, just a year and a half wages. That's a pretty good deal. If I'm the guy that owes that much, I'm going to be like, dude, thanks. You're awesome. I like you a lot. You know, the wheat that he gave me, it wasn't as much in, in uh, it was only like 20% or, was it 20% or 10%? But it wasn't as much as 50%, 20%, but it was still about the same amount of value. It was like a year and a half's worth of wages he forgave them. So this manager, he's forgiving these people a debt that isn't even his to forgive. But because he's doing it, he's actually building some really good relationships here. Because these guys don't know that he's about to be fired. In fact, actually, have you noticed he says it right there? He said, um, uh, take the bill quickly and change it. He's like, quick, before my boss finds out, before you find out that I'm actually being fired, quick, change the bill. This is all you owe. I'm still an employee. I can still do this. So he's taking a bit of a gamble here. He's taking a bit of a gamble because on the plus side, he's building some great relationships with some people so that when he's fired, he can maybe find a new job or some new friends. But on the minus side, he actually could be imprisoned for what he's doing because effectively, he's stealing from his master. His master could step in and say, right, I am throwing you in prison and you will stay there until you can pay back all that you've cheated me out of. That's the gamble this guy is taking. So at this point, the disciples are listening in to Jesus tell this story. And they've heard him tell stories like this before. So they're already in their head, maybe like you this morning, trying to figure out where this is going. You're like, okay, I've got a feeling that I'm not sure exactly what Jesus is going to teach out of this, but I bet there's going to be some weeping and gnashing of teeth. This guy's really bad. Jesus is going to talk about what an evil person he is, how we shouldn't cheat people. You know, they're doing all this math. And then suddenly, Jesus gives us the biggest plot twist since we found out that Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. (laughs) Listen to the next verse that Jesus says. In verse 8, the rich man, so he's discovered now what the manager has done, the rich man had to admire this dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. What? Jesus, whoa, 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 what did Jesus say? The rich man had to admire the guy for being so shrewd? Wait, we thought the rich man was God. So you're saying that God's like admiring this guy for being so shrewd? What's that about? Jesus, you've taught us all these morals and these values and how we should be good to others and kind to others and and treat the poor well and turn the other cheek. And this seems to kind of turn in the face of everything else you've ever said. 
It's almost like you're saying, hey, good job, buddy. Way to be be sneaky. (laughs) I like it. But if you look at it closely, that's not exactly what Jesus is saying. There's a commentary I came across this week that kind of was talking about this parable. And the, the writer, he said this. He said he's praising him not for his injustice, but because he had done wisely. He's praising him not for his injustice, not for the wrong that he did, but because of his wisdom, his shrewdness. You see, Jesus still calls him a dishonest rascal. He still acknowledges that he was wrong to do what he did, that, he was, that, was, that was not right. But when his back was up against the wall, that was a pretty shrewd move. And in this parable, he's saying the rich man almost, he's, he's admiring his shrewdness. And then Jesus goes on to kind of unpack this a little bit and now kind of applies it to his listeners. Listen to what he says in the next part of the verse. He says, And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. Jesus is saying, There are people who are followers of me. This morning, there are people who are followers of Jesus. And he's saying, We're kind of being put to shame by the people who don't follow us, the people of the world. They're actually doing better in the area of shrewdness than we are. It's almost like he's challenging us. Hey, when was the last time you took a look at your your shrewd meter? How, How shrewd are you really? And I think that's the question I want to ask this morning. How shrewd are you? Not how shrewd. Another uh, little office reference here. Not how shrewd are you. How shrewd are you? That's the question I want to kind of look at this morning in light of this parable. Because it seems to me that that's the question Jesus is asking. And you know, it kind of feels like it's something he shouldn't be asking. Because Jesus, I feel like as a follower of you, shrewdness is something that I should be moving away from. That feels like a negative thing. In fact, listen to what the dictionary tells us about the word shrewd. It means to be astute or sharp in practical matters, to be wise or crafty or cunning. Jesus, I'm, can I be your follower and be crafty and cunning? That just doesn't seem to be right. But we discover this isn't the first time Jesus has brought this subject up. Let's look to another account told by a, a man by the name of Matthew when he tells the story of the day that Jesus was sending all the disciples out to preach in different communities. They'd never done this before. He was going to send them out in pairs, and they were going to go to different neighborhoods and different communities, and they were going to start to share about Jesus. And he's given them all these instructions on what they should take and what they shouldn't take and how they should behave and what they should do. And in the middle of these instructions, he says this in verse 16. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes... And as innocent as doves. I want you to be innocent as doves, but I also want you to be shrewd as snakes. This was the command of Jesus to the disciples. This is something he's saying to us today through this parable, that we are to be shrewd. Now, I think as if you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus, I think all of us are okay with the innocent part. We can wrap our heads around that because that feels like something that Jesus would teach, being meek and mild, turn the other cheek. I, I get the innocent part, but the shrewd part, that just that, that seems a bit of a stretch. And what I need to point out here is that he's not saying to be innocent or shrewd, but maybe it's more innocent and shrewd that the two actually hold each other in balance. 
that the way we stop ourselves from being too cunning and crafty is by holding on to the innocence. But the way we don't be um, uh, too innocent is that we also hold on to the shrewdness. Let me give you a couple of practical examples here this morning. Here's the first one. Maybe uh, for us this morning, an area we can look at in our lives where we could maybe be a little bit more shrewd could be our finances. We talk about this, this concept a lot here at Connect because it's such a big part of our lives. And, and I know that I've talked about it in my own life. You know, I, I try really hard to be wise with my finances. It drives my family nuts at times because, you know, we'll never, my kids will be like, Dad, can we buy this? I'm like, well, we're not buying it now. We're going to go home. We're going to research it. We're, but Dad, what if they sell it? Well, it doesn't matter. We, maybe we can get it cheaper somewhere. Maybe the reviews aren't great. We're going to look into this. We're going to see if we can afford it. We'll check the savings. We'll, they're like, Dad, just, we want to buy it. We've got to buy it now. We have like this 24-hour rule and because I want to be shrewd. I want to be wise with the finances that I've got. I'm always looking for ways to save money. I'm on the phone to Comcast all the time, trying to get a better deal, switching cell phone provider. I mean, I'm always looking for ways to save money. It drives my wife nuts. In fact, she'll tell you that it doesn't always work. She'll remind you of the time that we went to Chicago on a little night away, just Case and I, and we got to this hotel we were staying at. We got a great deal because, of course, I'm shrewd. So I, uh, I found a website with a great deal on a Chicago hotel. I couldn't believe it. it was less than 100 bucks for a night, and we stayed there. And when we get there and I pull up, it's like 30 or 40 bucks to park in their garage. And I'm like, no way. I said, it didn't cost me that much more to stay in the hotel. So uh, I drive around, and I find a spot on the street where you can park overnight for free. Just save 30 bucks. Shrewd. So I get up the next morning, I go there, and uh, to get my car to pick it up, my car's gone. <laughs> as well as all the cars on that street, they're all gone. And I realized that just uh, about half an hour before that, a tow truck had come along, because between 7 and 9, you couldn't park on this street, because it was rush hour, and he just came and towed every single car. <laughs> so I had to go to this awful place, downtown Chicago, it was like under several roads, it was like kind of a scene out of Batman, it was dark, like sewers with smoke coming out, and, and this is where all the cars that were impounded were taken, and I said, uh, I'll just tell you now, I paid more than 30 bucks to park in the hotel that night to get my car back. But that was one time, I feel like I'm still ahead all the other times. But here's why I think it's important for us as followers of Jesus to think through this, to think, am I being as wise? Am I being as shrewd as possible in the area of my finances? You see, I think, what if, let me ask you this question, what if being shrewd meant you could be more generous? What if by being shrewd, you could be more generous? Wouldn't that be awesome? We just had a class here at Connect called Financial Peace, and 25 families from Connect went through that class. Chris and Kathy Kellenberger ran the class, did a fantastic job of overseeing the nine weeks of the class. And Chris told me at the end of the class that as a class, these 25 families had paid off over $60,000 of debt. As they kind of got teaching on how to pay down high-interest credit cards and, and get things sorted out and move some stuff, they found they were able to knock off $60,000 in debt. On average, each family was able to, to save almost $3,000 over the course of that time. And here was a great thing he told me. 45% of the class started giving for the first time or giving substantially more. I believe that's because there were some people who wanted to be generous, but because of the state of their finances, weren't able to. And because they got a little bit shrewd, because they went through a class that helped them just think a little bit more wiser about this area of their life, it actually freed them up to become more generous, to become the givers that they wanted to be. It makes a difference being shrewd. 
What about in your family? Some of us here this morning, it's not just finances, it's family. Many of us here this morning are parents. And we're, we're trying to figure this out. We're trying to raise our kids and we want them to grow up to know that they're loved by us and loved by God and, and find their purpose in life and find a relationship with him. But it's difficult. I had a friend who told me that he had a family in his church that he was having to walk through some stuff with because the son, good kid, just a great kid. He was eighth grade and good family. But he just, one night, he was out with some friends and they weren't the best of friends. And one of these friends, he'd got access to some alcohol. And before they knew it, they were all drinking. And this kid, this boy, he drank too much. He got drunk. Church family, a good kid, good family. He knew he'd done wrong. His parents never knew by the time he came home, it all worn off, but he just was battling this guilt. He knew he'd done something wrong. And finally, after a couple of weeks, he felt like, I've got to tell my mom. So he sat down, he says, Mom, I've got to tell you something. I did something really dumb a couple of weeks ago, and he tells her the story. My friend, the pastor, said that the, the toughest part of this story is that when the mom heard, she just kind of laid into him. She goes, you're joking. I've raised you better than that. How dare you? That's so silly. Why would you do that? That's such a stupid thing. And just the mom was telling this friend of mine, the pastor, she realized afterwards how much she'd blown it because what are the chances that that son is going to come back to that mom again and tell her something else? Now, as a parent with my kids, when they tell me stuff, everything in me wants to react be like, no. But sometimes there's some shrewdness, some wisdom. I want, I want to create that where my kids feel it's safe to talk to me, where I can give them wisdom, where I can give them. And, and that's difficult. I feel like right about the time my youngest child leaves the home to go off to school, I will have figured it out, and then I'll be ready to actually parent. <laughs> but until then, I'm trying to figure this out. I'm, God, give me shrewdness in this area of my life. Give me wisdom. You know, even as a church, even Connect Church, we think it's important to use shrewdness in our faith. When we're telling people about Jesus, our number one goal here at Connect Church is to connect our community to Christ. It's to reach people that aren't in this room right now, your neighbors, your family, your friends, who aren't in church on a Sunday morning, who don't have a relationship with God. That's our goal is to reach them. And we know that if we're going to reach them, especially if these are people who didn't grow up going to church or who maybe they did when they were a kid, but it's been a long time since they went to going to church, stepping into the doors of a church would be a strange experience for them. We have to be shrewd to think, how are we going to create an environment where it's not difficult for that person to come into the, the doors of Connect Church on a Sunday morning? I have another friend who uh, lives in Colorado. and He was in Denver recently. In fact, it was the week leading up to Easter. He was telling me this story, he said it was crazy. He said there was this church on this busy street, hundreds of cars, thousands of cars passing by every day. Had a huge marquee outside, such a great opportunity to, to share a message to all those people driving by who don't have a church home of their own. It was the Easter weekend, so Easter Sunday is coming up. A time when people think, you know, I should go to church. What a great time to say, join us on Easter Sunday or, or come visit us. But instead they were announcing a meeting that they were having and I, I wonder if some of you have even heard of this. So Good Friday, you know, but they were having a Maundy Thursday service at 7 p.m. Maundy Thursday. How many of you have heard of Maundy Thursday? A few hands go up. But not many. In fact, some of you may have heard of it, but you still need to go home and Google it to figure out exactly what it is. 
And my friend said it was so sad because it almost says, and I, I, I don't like doing this because I really don't like to sound like I'm, I'm knocking another church. But the truth is that to those people outside of the church driving past that sign, that almost confirms that kind of feeling they had that this is an insider's club. They have their own language, their own customs. You know, it, it would be impossible for me to go in there because I don't speak the language. I don't know what Maundy Thursday means. So here at Connect, we try really hard to be shrewd in the message that we communicate because we want people to come and discover just how much God loves them, how special they are, this great plan he has for their lives in a very real and practical way. I don't want to ever assume that they understand everything there is to understand about the Bible. So with this point in mind, funnily enough, someone from Connect put a video on my Facebook wall this week that kind of illustrates this point. Check this out real quick. Doug. I'm a pastor from Oklahoma. I don't know. My sermons and illustrations, they're just not really connecting these days. So I tried everything. Books, prayer, books on prayer, fasting. Nothing's really working. We grew up in church. We've just seen over time pastors just kind of become outdated. We wanted to create a program to help pastors kind of become more relevant. Help extend their reach. Just, you know, build their platform a little. Throw a little juju on their beat. Doug, how you doing, sir? I'm okay. What can we do for you? Well, things have been kind of rough for me in the past few months. Yeah, church not going well, huh? No, no. Attendance is flat. Tithing's low. I'm not really connecting with my congregation. Well, Doug, bootcut khakis. That's not helping anything. Doug, you're wearing a polo shirt tucked into your khakis. Are you speaking at a golf pro shop? Tiger Woods, you not? I'm going to untuck it for you. We're going to start there. Okay. First of all, the length of the shirt is a problem, okay? Doug, look, you posted an Instagram at a Kroger, okay? Ugh, bad news, Doug. You don't shop at Kroger anymore, okay? Whole Foods and Trader Joe's is where you're going to live. Outdoor farmer's markets photos do so well for your new brand. Also, we knew you were coming in. We took a look at some of your sermon series. You had one recently called uh, The Parables of Jesus. Oh, I'm bored. <laughs> Already, we just optioned a sermon series called Screenshotted If Jesus Had a Snapchat. We did. It helped literally no one, but he got so many followers from it. You ever heard of Netflix and chill? Netflix and God's will. What about Walking Dead? The Walking Bread. Boom. Uh, I don't know. Finding Dory. Finding Glory? You got it, Doug. You're all... So... Obviously, a little bit of parody there, but uh, and I did think it was funny that of all the clips to put on, we are doing a series on parables, but we're not. We're doing the genius of Jesus. We don't just call it the parables. But um, although that's kind of knocking it and having fun, the truth is that, that we think this through. And maybe in your faith, you've got some neighbors or friends, and, and when was the last time you thought, man, they are, they are not used to this. They didn't grow up in this. I've got to choose carefully. I've actually got to be shrewd in the way I speak to this person, the language I use. I want them to discover that God loves them and has a plan for their lives. And I don't want to be the obstacle because of uh, the wording I used or things that I assumed they would understand. So I think Jesus is challenging all of us in this parable on something we don't think about very often, something that maybe the reason this parable isn't taught on very often, is that it's great to be innocent as doves, but man, there's a shrewdness as well. A shrewdness that Jesus says the world, people outside of the church, have got down. They're kind of misusing it. But we can use it for God's kingdom. To be wise in the way we handle our finances. To be, to be wise in the way we family and, and do life as a family. To be wise in the way we have our faith and live out our faith with one another. 
So I wonder this morning if some of us need to pray, Jesus, help me to be more shrewd in some of these areas of my life. Help me never to do it at the expense of innocence, Lord. I want to have that purity and that pure motive and that innocence. But Lord, maybe I need to be a little more shrewd. Maybe I need to be okay with the fact that this this shrewdness, this wisdom that you've put inside me is something you want me to use for you. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we just thank you for these wonderful stories that Jesus told, these parables. And that every one of them was important. It's not that some of them that we know very well, like the Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son, were like the the top-rated parables and others were just kind of fillers. Lord, everyone you told had a purpose. So this parable that maybe we've not read very often, maybe we've not read at all, but maybe we've not heard taught upon very often, is just as important. There's something here you're wanting us to learn, Lord. Something you're wanting us to learn about wisdom and just being shrewd in, in all the matters we're involved in. So help us this week, Lord as followers of you, to look for opportunities where we can be a little bit more shrewd, a little bit, use a little bit more wisdom, but that we can use it, Lord, to help build your kingdom, to help others know more about you, to help our generosity improve, to help us be better parents or, or family members, Lord. Help us to use the shrewdness you want to see inside of us to bring glory to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.